Welcome to the Thinking Tree Podcast, a production of Ecoholics Private Limited. Ever found yourselves entangled into the web of economic concepts? They are pretty freakish to be honest. But if you don't understand how it works, then you should definitely keep listening. Thinking Tree brings to you the best minds from the world of economics to talk about the current matters of importance and the freakish way in which they affect our lives. The show is strictly for educational purposes. The opinions expressed on the show are personal to the individuals appearing in the show and not those of Thinking Tree Ecoholics Private Limited. The show is not intended to offend or defame any individual, entity, caste, community, race or religion or to denigrate any institution, person, living or dead. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hello and welcome to the Thinking Tree Talk Show. I am Kratika. And uh, you know, currently behavioral economics is much in demand. but not many people are aware of its importance and application so today we have mr kiriti kanjilal who is an assistant professor at indrapras institute of information technology so sir we have a very important uh, discussion ahead of us recently there was a nobel prize uh, awarded last year um, in behavioral economics and it was started by daniel kahneman's research who was uh, who was a psychologist who got awarded nobel prize in economics and that is where uh this discipline gained much traction but not many people know about its importance and not many people know about its its application so what is behavioral economics uh, okay so first of all thanks a lot for having me and it's uh, great to be on here and i'm i'm pretty thrilled to talk about uh, behavioral economics or for that matter its applications uh, and uh, let me sort of give both a general answer and then maybe an answer that people who have studied a little bit of economics will uh, also be able to relate to So the basic idea of behavioral economics step back first of all what is it we do in economics right and one of the things amongst many things that we do is we kind of try to explain how people make choices or decisions under particular settings of course and the typical sort of uh, format we follow at least in the typical neoclassical economics that we study in the classroom is that uh, we try to choose a certain set of say quantities of goods uh, given uh we have some utilities for these goods etc etc and there are some constraints right so constraints are of various types uh, the first constraint you study and the most obvious is income constraint but there are other types of constraints like uh for example information constraints or future uncertainties right uh, like um i mean a future uncertainty is a type of information constraint but a bit different because it's not that we don't know what's some information we just don't know what's going to happen in the future so uh, kind of like uh, in these settings uh traditional economics or neoclassical economics has some explanations for how people make uh, what we call optimal optimal choices right now a uh, behavioral economics first of all uh, in no way uh, rejects any of this but what it does say is that uh, hey we can actually first of all explain and secondly maybe even uh, predict how people make choices in an even more accurate way so what does it kind of uh, do about this is it says that yes it's true that individuals or human beings or whatever it is are optimizing under some conditions but it is also true that uh, there are some psychological factors at play and um, to sort of give a quick answer 
uh, these psychological factors can be broadly divided into like three to four things, right? Uh, one of them is uh, cognitive factors. So a lot of the early behavioral economists are actually cognitive scientists. So like Herbert Simon and even uh, for that matter, Daniel Kahneman himself has a lot of his work is about the cognitive ability of a person to make a decision. So, you know, uh, here things that matter are things like, okay, it's great to have a utility function. But what is your starting point? You know, are you starting with 100 rupees? Or are you starting with uh, a lakh? Are you starting with a crore? Or depending on your starting point, you know, you are more likely to feel differently about losing the same amount of money and gaining the same amount of money, right? So this is what Daniel Kahneman calls um, loss aversion or in general what the literature calls loss aversion. In addition, of course, you will uh, find that, I mean, he talks about the fact that we tend to uh, give sort of uh, disproportionate probabilities uh, to specific events, right? Like events that we may feel strongly about or that we are emotionally connected to. Uh, whereas the actual probability distribution, though in principle we may be aware of it, but we don't really treat it accordingly, right? So uh, these are kind of cognitive factors. They are psychological factors that, you know, we have the information, we have the ability, we have the desire to do something, but cognitively we are biased in some way or the other. At times, maybe even we don't bother to make that, you know, for example, if I offer somebody a cake and say hey uh, take some of this cake you know maybe the optimal choice would be like uh, 17 by 25 parts of this cake but a person will just go with half or one piece or quarter right some heuristics some approximations right so in terms of optimizing in terms of the ability to cognitively or other in terms of your cognitive ability to kind of make a perfect decision uh, people are not always there. And secondly, there are some other factors, as I said, like uh, your reference, your frame dependence, you know, how much money are you starting with? Uh, or, for example, um, you know, uh, like, uh, are you, you know, like, are you the sort who really values uh, gain more or loss more? And typically, Kahneman would say that, you know, people of hate losing 100 rupees more than they like gaining 100 rupees, right? So yeah. uh, we have these sort of utility functions that have different shapes and stuff like that because of this. So uh, this is one factor. One is cognitive factors, but there are a few other factors. There's emotional factors. For example, traditional economic theory would probably say, okay, you know, do you really want to uh, share anything? I mean, you keep everything to yourself, right? But in reality, we know uh, that if we have a choice between, uh, you know, uh, say, uh, me getting completely full and my friend going hungry versus both of us being like 50% full, I might like to share my food with that person. So those are uh, what you can call, you know, emotional factors There are also social factors. You know, we are social beings, right? A lot of our choices are not completely our choices, right? So uh, say, for example, we might, uh, uh, you know, we might uh, wear certain types of clothes that we find very uncomfortable, but maybe they are fashionable. Or we might eat certain food that is fashionable, but or that everybody at the table is eating, but we might not like it. You know, I can give you a very uh, simple example of this. You know, imagine that people are going for, say, a wedding tomorrow and you you have decided to kind of uh, buy a, a suit, right? Uh, so at that point, you are saying, okay, I'm going to wear this suit to the wedding tomorrow. So I have a high willingness to pay for this suit, right? But then it turns out like um, maybe your friends message and say, hey, we are all wearing a kurta pajama and, you know, we are going to take a photo. So would you like, you know, would like you to wear the same thing? Now, that is a very good example of how your preferences will completely alter just overnight. So that really explains what is behavioral economics from an economist's perspective or probably for students of economics. But in general, for uh, a person who's not very, uh, very good at economics or probably doesn't know economics very well, how can we use behavioral economics to make everyday life better? Uh, so that's a 
And that's kind of an interesting question because, as I said, you know, the ones who really use behavioral economics are actually not the agents who are uh, behaving, but some firms and some uh, government and some policymaker. But what what is often a result of behavioral economics is that uh, people end up making decisions because they are behaviorally biased, but they end up regretting it. And this is kind of uh, a place in which one can be conscious of their behavioral biases and perhaps they can make better decisions. So uh, let me sort of uh, uh, give you a, a few examples in, in day to day life. Right. So uh, there is this uh, there is this uh, concept uh, uh, called uh, what do you what do you say is uh, known as uh, effective forecasting. Right. So what is effective forecasting? It is it is the idea that you sort of um, when you are making a decision today, you are sort of forecasting something about the future and then you are kind of trying to make a decision today. Now here you will find that there are there are a lot of times where we make mistakes. Right. And there are a series of these uh, of these things happening. But I can give some very simple examples. So I'll, I'll give the example of this thing called a projection bias. So what is projection bias? Projection bias is essentially that uh, given the situation that we are in may be affected by some external factors or uh, we tend to sort of um, we tend to sort of make these uh, sort of uh, we t tend to sort of make mistakes about what our future preferences will be. So a very common example given by economists and psychologists are you should never go to the grocery store or maybe in today's world you should never shop online when you are hungry because yeah. when you are hungry you are likely to buy all sorts <laughs> of rubbish and then you are going to go home and you are going to really regret it. <laughs> so and this is known as uh, what do you call uh, projection bias. Uh, another really important uh, bias that one should be conscious of is this thing called a uh, present bias. So in general, there is this idea that uh, I mean, there is this thing, it, it's called time discounting where we where we as individuals value uh, things that are closer to us in terms of time, like uh, so closer to us as in today, tomorrow, day after more than things that are far in the future. Now, this has some rational logic to it as well, because if you get money today, you can invest it in a bank or in a stock rather than getting it 10 days later. But uh, the extent of our bias is often quite exaggerated. And uh, uh, the typical sort of term for this is hyperbolic discounting. That is, we kind of value today more than tomorrow and tomorrow more than day after, etc. But there is also another element to it. And that is uh, we often just at a binary in a binary sort of way value the present more than anything tomorrow. So that is known as present bias that is, you know, Kalkar Lenge basically. <laughs> so um, kind of put together uh, these two, the, the mathematical expression for this is quasi hyperbolic discounting, which is like a we value something closer to us in terms of time more than something further away and b we value today more than tomorrow. But often this kind of uh, a decision, uh, this kind of way of making decisions can lead to um, uh, regret because tomorrow you're like, oh, no, I should have done it yesterday. Uh, so basically, in general, you know, I mean, you will know that there are so many biases. I mean, you can talk about even a couple of others, but uh, there are so many of these biases where we can where we can kind of be a little conscious of them and make decisions accordingly so that we don't make uh, mistakes in a in a in a future in a future time. So uh, I, I can give you another really important, interesting example. It's it's known as the gambler's fallacy. Um, so the gambler's fallacy is the idea that say you you know you roll a dice uh, and you've rolled it five times and you've gotten like one every time. So in your mind you're thinking you know what I've gotten one like five times in a row. 
uh, I'm definitely not getting one a sixth time. Like it's not going to happen. But the reality is that because every roll of a dice is what we call IID, right, or independently and identically distributed, just because you have rolled one five times does not mean that the probability on cannot the come the sixth time. It's it's yeah. just one by six. It's the same, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, so this is known as the gambler's fallacy. And um, even though I'm assuming that not many of the viewers gamble, uh, but a very good, uh, very good sort of. Uh, implementation of this and there's a wonderful paper on this uh, uh, is is known as the hot hand fallacy where basically uh, it's a, it's a research on this uh, basketball game essentially where they kind of uh, you know there is a sense in sports that if we take a, a couple of shots and they go in the basket or in the goal or whatever that we have a higher probability of hitting the third shot it's kind of these uh, streaks or being in form or whatever it is right but uh, the reality is that there's no such evidence for this whatsoever uh, but we tend to get carried away right because we think that you know uh, that uh, you know like our just a small sample affects our expectations on the next sort of uh, shot or whatever it is so uh, you know if you're if you're playing sports you know just because you are lucky doesn't mean you should do it again uh, so like uh, that's kind of you know these, these are some very interesting things which if you if you read up on the uh, on these things you know and there's a lot of work on these kind of um, on these kind of concepts so for those who actually read seriously Uh, by guys like uh, Odong, Rabin, Lowenstein, uh, Tversky. Uh, these, of course, you know, stalwart economists, Kahneman himself, uh, and absolutely, you know, must uh, look into these. And you'll be really interested to know how they've explained so nicely how we make our uh, decisions badly sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, so this is a sim- simple answer. I, I think day to day. Yeah. I think that. Uh... of course knowing these concepts definitely will help in the daily life of course if i had known that going empty stomach would uh, increase my grocery bill to this much i would never have done that so that's a, that's a good thing to know i also have been reading daniel kahneman thinking fast and slow and he also explains this very well in his book um about how our decisions that we make instantly our intuition is not actually intuition but we've learned it over time that okay a woman who's looking angry is probably not going to say very nice words to you mm-hmm. so that's a very interesting concept for our viewers if you want to go through it mm-hmm. so uh, moving on to our next question considering the recent uh, trend of associating every discipline to human emotions as a better marketing technique mm-hmm. do you think behavioral economics will outgrow traditional economics um outgrow no short answers no uh behavioral economics by the way i mean most behavioral economics economists i should say and most of the work in behavioral economics is very much within the realm of um, traditional economics right so let me give you one really common example and uh, this is probably a little more for those who study economics a bit more seriously like um uh, one of the things that you do in economics 101 but also moving forward is you first define what an individual like an individual's preferences over goods and services or or over a bundle of uh, commodities and uh, you kind of place some assumptions on them that they are complete that they are transitive and if they are both complete and transitive they are rational etc etc and then you sort of um, say that okay i am now going to make a utility function that uh, maps these preferences to that function and uh, correctly represents the ordinality that is the ordering of these preferences and of course utility functions also have a cardinality that is there is a number associated with the utility i am getting from consuming these goods now 
so I can actually even suggest a, a really nice uh, piece by a uh, very famous economist, Botton Kozegi. Uh, it's, a, it's a journal of economics literature paper, which basically summarizes the work, essentially. Uh, and it's uh, called a Behavioral Contract Theory. It's, it's kind of a longish paper with a series of uh, references and anyone looking to do behavioral economics must read this because it's behavioral economics in contract theory specifically but wonderful work and there you will see something really interesting right i mean if you look at that or in general when he's in or when he's talking about how people have incorporated uh, the things like um, uh, what do you say altruism inequity aversion or even reciprocity etc etc overconfidence into their uh, into how people make decisions they simply do it by modifying utility functions. They simply say that, hey, I get some utility from consumer go- consuming a good, but I also get some utility from my friend consuming a good. Uh, and, and that is basically kind of adjusting the mapping of preferences to a utility function. Now, this in itself is nothing that traditional theory has a problem with in any way. So essentially, I mean, behavioral economics to a large extent grows within the existing theory and tries to just increases explanatory and predictive power i would say and also you could add to that that it kind of um, uh, brings in a lot from other fields because it's able to um, it's able to sort of uh, i mean you could say that traditional economic theory assumed away some of these things but behavioral economics says that even if we don't assume it away we don't need to completely change the framework or anything so i mean behavioral economics is grown wonderfully within traditional theory. I mean, let me give you an example. You know, there's this paper, uh, American Economic Review paper in 2009, I think, by uh, Raj Chetty, Looney and Croft. Uh, Raj Chetty, of course, a very famous Indian, well, Indian origin economist. But, um, you know, like uh, he has worked on this paper where he essentially shows that, um, uh, he essentially shows that, you know, like they do this experiment in the grocery shop where some goods are shown with their full price, that is with taxes. And some goods are shown without taxes, but they are shown and taxes, act, whatever. I mean, you know, you know that there are going to be some taxes added. Whereas in some cases, it is explicitly given in the price. And it shows that, you know, when you um, sort of explicitly state the price because people see a higher price, uh, they end up sort of purchasing uh, less of the good, even though the price is actually the same. Uh, and even though they know the rate of tax and everything. And, you know, and this is, you know, very important for both the shop owners or, you know, the you can say the grocery store owner because they want to sell more. And uh, this is also important for policymakers because if, for example, they want to reduce the sales of something like alcohol, they might want to include that, you know, that high price. So people know, hey, this is really expensive versus you go to the checkout counter and then find us expensive. So this is a very good example of, okay, it's behavioral economics in a way, but it's very much within the conventional way of doing things right um, and uh, similarly i mean you will find a lot of uh, a lot of literature that uh, that uses the idea that people are behaviorally biased etc etc not in any way completely rejecting traditional theory and i think there is a, a bit of a misconception over there as well um, but yeah i mean it has grown wonderfully within the subject and uh, it has i think they've grown very nicely together which is why you even find a lot of conventional economists um, very openly embracing the idea that you know behavioral economics is important to uh, sort of uh, further um, take for take economics further both as a both theoretically and empirically that's kind of uh, my answer to that question so um you know, given the prominence of uh, big data since it has taken over everything today, without big data, I don't think uh, 
majority of things can't function today so given the prominence of uh, big data which approach do you think is more relevant today experimental economics or uh, behavioral i mean experimental economics is a method right i mean it's mm-hmm. uh, it ha- it has like experimental economics and behavioral economics can exist independently of each other uh, experimental economics of course by the way is, is 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 across you know i mean i mean there are so many types of experiments right there's this randomized controlled trials for which of course esther duflo and avijit banerjee are extremely well known um there's experiments in market design uh, you know when people like uh, for example uh, you know guys like milgram and all have developed these uh, uh, nobel laureate this time have developed these um, kind of auctions and stuff and if you want to test if these auctions are uh, what uh, what uh, what uh, economists call incentive compatible individually rational uh, efficient etc i mean you can use the lab to test that as well you can i mean theoretically your predictions might show something but if you really want to know if it works you can test it in the lab uh, you know you can do field experiments and like experimental economics is kind of just you know so important in many ways because it helps in creating a controlled environment especially lab experiments uh, and you can hence kind of uh, sort of make your make your claims with a little more conviction having said that i mean behavioral economics just for example as a theoretical exercise in itself is quite robust uh but it is true that um, to really know if behavioral economics is or if a person is behaviorally biased or they are affected by behavioral factors the best way is an experiment right so uh you know for example if you look at uh, behavioral game theory right uh, there are these uh, things called ultimatum games and dictator games again for those who have kind of you know studied a few of these things and you will notice that ultimatum games and dictator games have some predicted sort of um, sort of especially if they are uh, you know one time sort of games that they have some predicted nash equilibrium and you would expect the the dictator in these games the person proposing the uh, the sort of uh, split uh, to 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 make a very sort of you know to make a very selfish sort of uh, offer but uh, in reality people tend to be happy to split goods 50 50 30 60 etc i mean I'm, i'm sorry if i'm kind of you know getting into a little more game theory but my point is that you know uh, these um, uh, these things can only be observed in experiments right like these things that we suspect might happen uh, but maybe the nash equilibrium would say that hey people only care about their payoffs right the word payoffs i mean people only care about the money they get in their hand from these games probably not true now the now the way to check this is experimental economics by the way i mean i would say that one of the big things about experimental economics is because you are controlling the environment it is actually one type of empirics in which you do not need big data i mean you may you may or may not but because if you are able to substantially control an environment you can actually do it with limited data so a lot of experiments you see actually are able to make very strong claims with relatively less number of uh, a uh, relatively less number of subjects and trials etc because the whole point is okay i i'm kind of you know i don't have you know 10 million data points but i am very clear about each data point and i'm kind of sure that the number of confounding variables etc are less so uh, I, i don't think they intersect that much to, i mean they intersect a lot as an experimental economics is a is a very important method for behavioral economics but i think they kind of both have their role and and um, are, are are do very well on their own in general so you know. 
and are very important <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much sir that was really enlightening and uh, I'm sure that uh, people who just uh, were fascinated by behavioral economics just because of the Nobel prize factor associated with it know much more about it after this conversation and uh, we are really thankful that uh, you agreed to come to our platform oh, and yes. uh, give us your valuable time and explain it to us uh, we are just so glad to have you here can you, uh, do you have any few last words for ecoholics Oh yeah absolutely so i mean i i was kind of you know just looking at the looking at the youtube videos and all and first of all i i wish when i was in college there were these uh, videos to explain things in a nice and simple way and in a good way because it's really good and i mean economics gets pretty complicated and it's nice to have some a platform online you know accessible to people which which can really sort of help them understand things and another thing i really like is a series you do speaking to professors and stuff and i think you know probably uh, it's a really nice way to speak about specific topics like i saw uh, topics of people speaking about things like game theory and stuff like that and you know it's really nice for someone who teaches it and does research on it uh, to come and talk talk about it in some detail and to try to explain it uh, to people and and of course it's freely accessible which i think is wonderful i really like the series a lot so some some uh, nice names over there like some pretty good names so uh, so so great stuff i mean I, i wish you all the best of luck moving forward as well thank you so much sir thank you for agreeing to come to our show and giving us your valuable time i'm sure your insights are going to be of big help to our students and uh, just thank you so much for being here with us today thank you thank you so much i appreciate it you were listening to the thinking tree podcast powered by ecoholics private limited For more information visit www.ecoholics.in